My friends over at serenitynewsletter.com have a special opportunity open to those interested in learning advanced investing techniques in the crypto space. This membership is of the highest quality and is run by a dear friend of mine who happens to manage one of the most successful crypto hedge funds in the world. Crypto is the future, and those who make smart plays now have an opportunity to earn life-changing returns. Go to serenitynewsletter.com to watch a special video presentation now. That's serenitynewsletter.com. We all dream of seeing the world, but the realities of living somewhere outside your place of birth can be daunting to say the least. Welcome to the Expat Money Show, helping you make the most out of your overseas career through conversations with successful expats on investing, entrepreneurship, self-improvement, and continual education, all while sharpening your financial acumen. Now, please welcome your host with over 20 years of overseas experience, Mikkel Thorup. Hey everyone, Mikkel here. Okay, before we jump into today's episode, I want to remind you that if you go to expatmoneyshow.com, you're going to be able to download our special report. It's called 19 International Strategies to Grow and Protect Your Wealth Abroad. It has been a project of mine I have been working on for maybe four years now, and I constantly update this with the newest and best strategies. Now, it's really different than a lot of other special reports or books out there because this one is really short, and it is short on purpose. What I want to do is kind of highlight to you the best of the best strategies that are out there in the world, and then where you can go for additional information or how you can get involved in these things. So instead of writing a 500-page special report on this, which probably chances are no one is going to read it, this is really highly condensed information. I've actually put it in an infographic. It's an infographic special report. Uh, it has helped thousands upon thousands of people really get a grasp of being an expat and what type of things are out there to protect your assets, professionals that you should be working with, investments, real estate, these types of things. So it's called 19 International Strategies to Grow and Protect Your Wealth Abroad. You can pick it up at expatmoneyshow.com. You'll see it. It's on the very first page at the very top. All you need to do is put in your name and email address. You're going to get a chance to actually join my private email list, EMS Pulse. And there's just so much great things that are shared on there. It's completely free. There's no funnel. There's no trick to this. There's no credit card needed, anything like that. It's just a good resource for you, my listener, who I love and adore. And I want to do right by you guys. So go to expatmoneyshow.com, pick this up, let me know what you think. I'll talk to you soon. Enjoy today's episode. Welcome, welcome, welcome. My name is Mikkel Thorpe. This is the Expat Money Show. And today's guest is a speculator, digital asset expert, and he believes in free markets and voluntary interactions between sovereign individuals. This philosophy has made him a global citizen in search of a lifestyle and profit opportunities around the globe. He has traveled to over 70 countries and lived in six. A normal year sees him passing through about 15 countries. So this sounds like a man after my own heart, that's for sure. Please welcome to the show, Marco Witzer. Marco, how are you, sir? Very good. Glad to be here, Mikael. Glad to have you. I'm really excited for this conversation. You know, we've been emailing back and forth over the last month or two trying to put this together. So I'm glad that we get a chance to kind of sit down today and talk. But I suppose before we get going, why don't you talk to us a little bit about your backstory and how did you get into Bitcoin and cryptocurrency and travel and all these fun things that we want to talk about? 
Yeah, so I'm originally from Germany, uh, as you can probably hear. And so I was one of the guys of the first wave who who made money on the internet, like in the early 2000s, like 2001-ish. And so back then it was pre-Wi-Fi days, uh, pre, uh, pre-digital nomad term. It, it was like a brand new thing. And so I realized, oh, now I'm going making all this money and I'm completely independent and uh, it's not looking so good for the future of Germany. Uh, let's get the hell out of here. So in my early 20s, I, I moved to South America, to Paraguay and started my, uh, my internet national journey and uh, yeah so so i've been uh, involved in in online marketing different things like that and uh, of course always interested in investments too i've been investing for more than 20 years as well so uh, then as an anarcho capitalist when the bitcoin white paper came out i was of course one of the first to to hear about it and to read it and uh, i thought oh great i mean this is awesome but just like many things before i was involved in the digital monetary trust uh, that was in, uh, in in the 90s even and and even before that with eagle that was always interested in that space but there were lots of ideas flowing around right and at this time it was just an idea so i'm like okay cool Uh, i I gotta keep an eye on this and then a few months later uh, i uh, remember like oh what about this bitcoin thing i see oh shit it went to one dollar i missed everything (laughs) it went from nothing to a dollar so uh, needless to say at this point like a little shortly later around 2010 i i got involved so i've i've been early in um in, in Bitcoin and in cryptos. And then over the years, uh, uh, cryptos has more and more become my full-time gig. And, and, and nowadays it's pretty much all I do. Amazing. That's yeah, pretty wild. You know, you missed the boat when Bitcoin was a dollar. <laughs> Imagine thinking that today. I mean, people thinking that they've missed the boat. Um, let, let's, let's start there, I suppose. I, I want to come back to the travel because I do love the travel. But walk me through what it was like in that day and age, being into Bitcoin and the people that you were meeting and what, what was the mentality or, or the space like at that time? Yeah, I mean, obviously, there were only really a handful of people that were involved in this. So it, it was either like programmers that were really on the tech side or the rest of it was mostly like libertarian-minded, anarcho-capitalist uh, uh, kind of guys, uh, which is my background. So with my group of friends, we were all all about uh, the freedom that it delivers. And uh, while I was working in software before and I have a solid technical understanding, I'm not a, a programmer, so I'm not involved uh, at that level. But basically, it was really exciting times. So at that time, I was living in Buenos Aires. And uh, when I first came across Bitcoin, the, the reason why I didn't buy anything right away is because there were no exchanges. The, the only way you could buy it was mining it. And I was like, ah, I'm not going to start that mining on my computer. And it's like uh, killing my memory and, and, and my CPU and heating up my computer and all that stuff. So I'm like, no, no, I'm not going to do that. And, and that's why I then forgot about it for a while before I came back then later. And, and then there were exchanges. So then I was uh, uh, able to buy some. But then at that stage was uh, uh, when the transition from CPU mining to GPU mining was happening. So at that uh, stage, I got involved in the mining too. And uh, I, I had like about four or five kilowatts of GPU uh, power running in a, in a small apartment at that time. And that was I, a, very noisy, but B, it was generating so much heat that even in the wind, winter, I had the windows open. And, and after a few weeks of this, I'm like, okay, this is no way to live. Uh, and then what also happened at this time is that Bitcoin crashed from $30 to $2. And at the same time, electricity was really cheap in Argentina at the time, but they, they doubled the price of electricity, removed some subsidies. So the crash and double electricity price, I said, okay, fuck this, I'm out, I'm out of that. And I sold all of this equipment. Um, so I, I was a little bit involved in the mining at that stage. But then uh, from then on uh, out, I was just involved as an investor. But the, the mentality back then was like, okay, 
is the net network still alive tomorrow? When I wake up tomorrow, does it still exist? Uh, because you didn't know two things. You didn't know the cryptography. Does it really work? Like, is there some kind of bug? Does it get hacked? I mean, that was a really valid concern at that time. And then also the network was so small, like a malicious actor could take it over easily, right? Uh, which today this is impossible, but back then it was also a very real concern. So uh, when Bitcoin then actually went up from, from $2 to $30 is when I took a first wave of, of profits. Uh, of course, in hindsight, a, a big mistake, but from from that time, I mean, when some when you buy something at $2 and it goes up to $30 and it's, it's still on shaky ground, of course, you sell some, right? So in a sense, it was the right decision too, because it could have gone very differently as well. Well, and I think that a lot of people seem to think that if they had bought in when it was that price and, you know, now it's going to be, you know, a thousand times that. Okay. But there's still the, the, the human aspect of that in that 10, 12 year period. I mean, people sell, you liquidate, things happen in your life. So a lot of people have to understand that we're still humans and it's natural to be wanting to take a little bit off the table um, and, and understand that changes happen from the personal side as well. Yeah, and, and nothing is guaranteed. You know, there's very few people in the world that can hold an asset through orders of magnitude growth. You know, there, there are probably like less than 10 people in the world that got in at the very beginning and still hold most of their Bitcoin, right? Yeah, exactly. Well, so that's so funny, though, about the uh, the mining and what it does to your house. I've actually seen some of the mining rigs, and I can definitely attest to this, how noisy they are and how much heat that they put out. But it's also interesting from your side, because even if you didn't mine for years and years on end, at least you have a deep understanding of how it works, because you've actually had to set it up yourself and go through the whole process and then take the whole thing apart. I mean, I've seen it, but I wouldn't know how to set anything like that up. I mean, I just wouldn't have the foggiest clue. Yeah, I mean, if you have a basic technical competency, you can figure it out. It's it's not much different from running any other program in a computer and tweaking a few settings. But basically, these days are gone. You know, I mean, now uh, Bitcoin mining is an industrial operation on an on industrial scale. And, and I guess there are still a few hobby miners around, but uh, there are uh, few and far in between. And, and other networks too, like Ethereum, uh, you know, they're, they're about to move to proof of stake. So the mining itself is becoming less and less of a of a thing. Mm -hmm. So, okay. So I don't want to talk too much today about any of the prices for the coins because things change on such a, a fast rate. We say something today and tomorrow it's not true, but I do want to talk about kind of the mentality, the, the philosophy, the, the reasons why cryptocurrency and specifically Bitcoin are so prevalent. So, but I, I guess first, for my listeners who don't have a deep background on these things, let's work through some of the lexicons, some of the language that they should probably know and understand to kind of set them up for this conversation and some of the more advanced topics we'll get into. Sure. I mean, what, what you have to understand first and foremost is the core principle behind this technology and why it is such a game changer. Because what you're really seeing here is a paradigm shift of historic proportions. And, and that's something that very few people uh, 
get to have the opportunity to participate in, and, and it's still such a huge opportunity, because what this technology does is it removes trust, uh, it removes middlemen and third parties. So uh, that's of course valuable for many things, not just for financial applications, but it it, it also goes into uh, like for example media with, with the whole censorship issue that we have these days. It goes into supply chains and and really. Almost anything that's digital uh, can can benefit from middlemen being removed. And specifically in financial markets is, uh, is uh, where we see the biggest product market fit. Uh, and that's where we're now moving from the legacy financial system to a completely decentralized system where you no longer have uh, governments, uh, lawyers, banks, brokers, and, and all these middlemen in the middle. So I can send money to you and nobody can interfere with that. Uh, it's instant, it's cheaper too. But first and foremost, we, we can be sovereign with our money, we can be 100% in control and not even at the central bank level where they manipulate the, the currency and, and rob you indirectly, which most people are not even aware of. Not even this can happen anymore. And then, of course, you know all the craziness in the banking system these days with, oh, bring this paper and KYC and AML and you can't wire money there, you can't buy this stock here. So all of this stuff goes away. And so it's really a quantum leap. And if you look at if you look at the world, maybe 1% of the world population, if even that, is using this today. So we still have literally 99% of the growth ahead of us. Mm -hmm. I've been in Bitcoin and, and these since 2017. So certainly not as long as you have, but it, literally every time I use it, like for day-to-day -day things or for helping clients or, or receiving funds, I always like take a second afterwards and sit back. I'm like, God, that's like so easy. It just works so well. I mean, if someone needs to send me money for an international wire transfer, most likely they can't even do it from their online banking. They actually have to go in person. They have to stand in line. Then they have to fill out all these forms. They have to give reasons why. Why are you sending this to another country? Who is it there? It takes three days. The transition, the transaction fees are huge. And then there's a terrible spread if it's going from one currency to another currency. I mean, it's just brutal. And then I work with Bitcoin or, or the other ones, and it's like a minute. 30 seconds. I don't know. Like it's just so fast and it's there and you know what your fees are going to be. And it just works so clean and smooth. So just from a practical aspect, like from my side, it's just a complete game changer when I'm doing business internationally. Yes, you're right. And what you described with uh, international wire transfers, their cryptos are already very, very competitive. But uh, if I uh, compare it to the early internet days, uh, we are still in the dial-up stage. You know, it's still slow. It's still inefficient because uh, today I cannot buy a coffee uh, with cryptocurrencies because the fees are too high and, and the, the finality of the transactions until it's confirmed, it, uh, it, it's still too slow. Uh, although this is changing and, and, and the, the technology is maturing and there are new blockchains now that, that, that offer that. But just like the internet is now 40, 50 years old and, and really has seen explosive growth only for maybe the last 20 years, uh, the same with, with blockchain technology and cryptocurrencies. We're, we're now like 12 years in and we've, we're already seeing now, I mean, everything is accelerating. So I don't think it will, will take 40, 50 years, but we were seeing now this growth happening. So uh, if, you, if you look at the, the S-curve of technology adoption, we're very close to that point where we're hitting now exponential growth, where, where the product market fit is right for mass adoption. And, and, and so this is coming at an accelerated uh, level, but it's still very, very early. And so it's still going to get easier to use. It's still going 
going to get better and the use cases always uh, uh, there's always new ones right uh, with, with new apps and, and new protocols being developed so so there's massive massive growth still ahead of us because realistically to change the whole financial system how it works is, is not a process that takes a few years it takes a few decades right yeah well i think that if everybody in the world did want to change the financial system we could do it in a massive in a, in a very short amount of time however there's Massive amounts of people who do not want to change the financial system, who are incentivized to keep it exactly the way it is. So it's it's not the it's not is the ability out there to change it quickly. It's is the motivation there to change it quickly. You have a group of libertarian and anarcho-capitalist type of people who are pushing for these types of things and sound money and and everything that comes along with this. But there's not even an equal amount. There's 10 times, 100 times as many people who don't want to see changes to the system. Yes, but if you look at the average person, you know, you, you don't need to be a, a very freedom-minded to, to want this because the average person benefits from this as well. And if you explain it to the average person, what are the benefits, uh, they will get it and want it too. It just has to be uh, easy enough to use so the average person can use it. It's just like with email. You know, nobody knows how SMTP protocol or IMAP protocol works. People just log into Gmail or whatever and use it, right? And with crypto, we have to get to this stage too. And then the other factors, of course, age. If I have somebody who's 60, 70 years old or even older, they didn't grow up with computers. For them, it's much more challenging. But uh, if I look to people I know that, that are a generation below me, for, like for them to go back to an old system that is not crypto is, is like laughable, right? And, and they put all their savings, they're like little pocket money, they put it all in crypto and then they get it. So it, it's also also a generational shift that, that has to happen there. Well, I think I agree with you, but I will also add to that that it's a little bit challenging because of the education systems that we have. So much of the education is still state-run, so it's an indoctrination into believing the state. I mean, I dropped out of school when I was 12 years old. I don't have that same type of mentality, and I do a ton of work with people now on homeschooling and unschooling and alternatives that are out there. But it's going to be a really uphill battle when people are in school for 15, 20 years and they're taught to trust their government and in one thing. Now, saying all of that, all the changes that have happened with COVID has really shown how untrustworthy the state is and that you can't just believe everything that is spoon-fed to you. You have to actually take a little bit more personal responsibility. Yeah, I mean, the, the idea that, that the state is your friend and your protector is laughable. I mean, governments have killed hundreds of millions of people over the years to, to be so brainwashed to believe that, which unfortunately the majority are. Uh, I mean, you mentioned you dropped out of school. Uh, I dropped out of school too. Uh, you, you, you beat me to it. I think I was 18. So... Uh, even at that time, you know, when it was still relatively decent in Germany, I found it horrendous because it's a state-run schooling system in Germany, and I found it unbearable, and I had to take care of my own education. But now, my, my two sisters, they are both teachers, and if I hear what they tell me about how schooling works now, it's literally the, the deliberate dumbing down of the people, and it, there's you can't even call it education anymore. I mean, to begin with, schooling and education are two different things, right? But it's just so bad that if, if, if I look at Europe in general, I see nothing but bad things in the future. Yeah, I agree 100%. So let's circle back. What are some of the other the words or the phrases or the things that people need to understand who are going to get into Bitcoin and cryptocurrency? I'm just going to keep saying Bitcoin because I know that there's so many terrible ones out there and I never want to. I know, I know there's some other good ones. 
But at least if I'm promoting Bitcoin, I feel very, very safe and secure about this. Sure. I mean, there's a few uh, terms that uh, come up frequently that, that you hear a lot. I mean, we talked a little bit about mining. So this is how the network is secured. Then, of course, you need a wallet uh, to manage your cryptos. And, and there's two concepts with the wallets that, or three rather, that you really have to understand. And, and one is a big hang up for people because they think their cryptos are in their wallet, which is actually not true because the network is basically a database that is spread out over thousands of computers all over the world. And in this globally distributed database is where you move money from A to B. So with your wallet, you just send the instructions. So in your wallet, you have two things. You, you have an address, and this is the equivalent of your bank account number, and you have a private key, and this is the equivalent of your password. So when you give somebody your address, they don't send money to your wallet. They just send it to this address in the database. And with your private key, with your password, you control these assets and, and, and can move them on and, and, and change them and so on and so forth. So wallets, address, private key is one thing. Then you, you might hear the word node uh, a lot. A node is simply one of the computers that runs the blockchain software that is part of the network. And so, so is that the miners or is how, how does the node work? Well, miners are also nodes in the network. Uh, a node is simply, I mean, there's two types of nodes. There's like a full node. And that simply means I have a complete copy of the, of the blockchain database on my own machine. So I can, from the Genesis block, from day number one, reconstruct the entire history, all transactions. So this would be the safest way to operate. But it's not very practical because it needs a lot of storage. It takes a long time to download and so on and so forth. So the more user-friendly wallets are called light nodes. And this is also a computer that interacts with the network but it connects to another node in the network that has a full copy that, that the, where the wallet says, okay, I trust this node and I get my data from there. And then I verify the transactions indirectly. It's still very secure, but obviously not as secure as a full node. So there's a slight difference here, but for the end user, it's not really something that you need to really worry about. Okay, interesting, interesting. So that's two. Now you said, what was the third thing that people should really understand? Well, I, I, I was talking about the, the private key, the public address and the concept of the funds not being in the wallet, but actually stored in the blockchain. Okay, that makes sense. That makes sense. So nodes, wallets, addresses, private keys. Um, the, the phrase that you always hear is not your, not your keys, not your crypto. Or uh... That's a very good point. Yeah. Because a lot of people, they are just lazy, right? So they uh, open an exchange account. Uh, let's say a popular one is Binance. So they open a Binance account, they buy a bunch of cryptos, and then they just let it all sit there. And this is very problematic because now you have nothing more than a bank account. And these exchanges are just as bad as banks. You know, I have right now about $50,000 stuck in an exchange. They simply return, don't return the money, you know, and there's almost nothing you can do about it. So uh, it's, it's very problematic too. And of course, you also have to submit your paperwork and then they restrict you and all of that. So one of the core benefits that you get from this whole blockchain ecosystem is that you're sovereign, sovereign with your data, sovereign with your identity, sovereign with your money. But that, uh, there's a flip side to that coin, and it also means that you are 100% responsible, and you have to take this responsibility. So that means you have to withdraw the funds from the exchange to your own wallet and learn how to use the wallet, learn how to make a backup. So in case something goes wrong, then you're still protected, and then you are 100% in control. So don't be lazy and leave money leaving around exchanges. If it's a smaller exchange, it's also very likely that sooner or later it gets hacked and you might lose the funds. So there are many reasons why you, sh why you should keep control of your funds, but first and foremost, it's your own sovereignty that you're in control, that you're really truly free with your money. So that you, you just made a very interesting point there. You said hacked. I want people to understand, and you can flush this out a lot more than I can. 
Bitcoin has not been hacked. Exchanges have been hacked. It, it's not the code of the cryptocurrency or the blockchain that's been the problem. It's this the centralized part of it, correct? Exactly right. I mean, with Bitcoin, we now have 12 years of history. So there's a, something called the Lindy effect that, that the longer something is in existence, the more likely it is to, to continue to be in existence. And Bitcoin, uh, I mean, in May, we had a big dip, so it went down a lot. But before that, we were already at a trillion dollars, right, in, in, in valuation. So there's a big honeypot for hackers to interfere with that system and, and, and to steal funds. But it has proven to be, to be secure, secure. So it is a very secure system. But all the ancillary stuff, you know, the exchanges, the wallets, then there you have to be careful what you're doing and, and, and do it right to prevent uh, security flaws. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. And I guess this is a good opportunity. So we're going to be discussing in this, in this call today a lot of the philosophy, a lot of the basics of crypto, and hopefully some travel later on. But Marco actually has a program. So if you're listening to this and you're thinking, okay, this is too much stuff just for one interview, you can actually go to expatmoneyshow.com forward slash leap. And he has an amazing course. I've actually looked at the course myself, been through a lot of it. And he breaks down every single little piece of this in detail in easy to understand terms and everything like that. So it's expatmoneyshow.com forward slash leap. Okay, Marco, talk to me a little bit about the wallets then, because my understanding is we got a cold wallet, we got a hot wallet, and we got a paper wallet. Can you flush these out for me a little bit? What do these terms mean? Yeah, I mean, you need a software wallet uh, to, to actually use the cryptos, right? And, and a paper wallet is nothing more than basically a printout of, of your keys, so you have a backup of them. Uh, now, there's another thing called a hardware wallet that you mentioned. This is basically the most secure to in, uh, way to interact with blockchains, because then you're private key is not in the software program, but in a special little hardware device that's called a hardware wallet, where it's the, the, the safest way, the most protected way to, to store your key and, uh, and where, you, where you store it there. So if you want to get deeper into this, then this is definitely something you can, you can look at. But don't be overwhelmed by this because even the software wallets, you know, if you use it the right way, if you make the backups, it's, it's very safe. It's just if you manage large amounts of, uh, of cryptos in general, and you want to take an extra step of protection, then it makes sense to have a hardware wallet. Or even if you want to keep it more simple, you can simply have a separate computer. You know, you can buy a cheap laptop and then you use that just for all your crypto stuff and you keep it offline so uh, nobody can mess with it. Because of course, if you use your regular computer where you have all sorts of programs running, there, there are more security risks. Uh, but, but having a separate device or one of these hardware wallets takes the security up another level. Uh, but it's, it's it's not really required unless you're dealing with really big amounts like you're fine just downloading a software wallet like if you want to get started and just experiment a little bit one very user-friendly one is called exodus so just if you go to exodus.com uh, they have very good tutorials and videos how it works and it's very user-friendly if you want to check that out and i believe exodus is free to use free to download and to use as a wallet and then they just make a small margin on the transactions is that right not on the transactions itself, but if you want to exchange from one crypto to another, there they charge a small ah, fee okay. and that's how they finance themselves. But that's actually a really good thing because fees you pay everywhere. And if you use them, uh, they have the stuff and the resources to, uh, to provide a really excellent customer support. So if you're a newbie and you run into any problems, you can email them and they respond right away. So they have really good support. 
But using something like Exodus, that's still not a centralized governing body or corporation which has control over your asset. No, correct? because when you download that software, then you generate your own keys. So you have locally on your computer the keys. And that's why it's always important that you have a backup because computers can die or you can accidentally delete something. So the backups are really the most important thing because then even if you screw up, still nothing happened. You just have to reinstall everything. And, uh, and yeah, with Exodus or, or any of similar wallets like that uh, if, if you install it on your computer and generate the keys th then you control the funds and, and nobody can interfere with it amazing so talk to me a little bit about getting into bitcoin or cryptocurrency for the very first time i know that you talked about the exchanges but are there other ways of getting into this can you do peer-to-peer -peer? is there other types of programs or or opportunities for people to become involved in this yeah, I mean, there's basically three ways if you want to get started and, and buy Bitcoin. You can mine it, which I don't recommend anymore, of course. We, we talked about this. And then the, the second way is, of course, through the exchanges, which is the most convenient and, and, and easiest way uh, to do this. But then if you're like a, a, a privacy fanatic and don't, don't want to give your data even to an exchange, there are peer-to-peer -peer platforms where you can find directly a counterparty that uh, wants to sell crypto and then you can send money to them directly and, and then you make an exchange like that. So there's a, a several different platforms that offer that. So that's one way to completely privately buy Bitcoin. The drawback with that is that it's uh, only good for smaller amounts. You know, if you want to exchange a few hundred or a thousand bucks or something, it's okay. But if you're dealing with bigger amounts, it's, it's not very practical. Mm -hmm. Well, I, maybe I shouldn't say this in a recorded session, but I mean, I have lots of friends that have been into Bitcoin and I've given them large amounts of cash and had them send it to me. These are people that I know and trust and you know, friends of mine come over for dinner and things like this. So I feel quite comfortable about it. But it is neat that you can do it completely separate, that you don't have to ask permission to do any of these things. And, and I understand that there might be tax obligations for your government. I'm not talking about any of that type of stuff. I mean, this is not legal or tax advice or anything like that. However, saying that, I mean, there are opportunities out there to do things in a, in a private way. Right. Okay, so I guess that makes a lot of sense. And I, I suppose what we've been talking about is kind of some of the more beginner stuff. And if people want to continue with how to get into Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies, if they want to more understand more about the process and how to stay safe and everything like that, then they can check out your program, Crypto Quantum Leap, and you guys get a special offer if you go to expatmoneyshow.com forward slash leap, L-E-A-P. But I want to get a little bit deeper, Marco. I want to understand more of the advanced stuff here. I want to talk about the trading and how people can actually speculate if it's not just the buy and hold. So let's dive into some of those types of things. And I guess my first question and I kind of alluded to this earlier, is there's more than just Bitcoin and Ethereum. Actually, there's tons of different coins. I guess, first of all, like why and what is out there and what should people be keeping an eye on? Sure. I mean, Bitcoin at this point is basically 12 years old. And, and even if you look at Ethereum, it, it was the first platform that took it one step further from Bitcoin and, and offered basically decentralized computation where you can run more complex programs, not just transfer funds from A to B, but actually develop applications that are censorship resistant and, 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 and open to anyone, accessible to anyone. So that then started a whole wave of new 
blockchains and new protocols. And so I mentioned earlier, like the financial use cases is just one area, but even within the financial use cases, there are specialized protocols just for lending, for insurance, for derivatives. Basically, the way you have to think about it is, all the different building blocks that make up our financial system, there is now a specialized protocol for that that offers you that same thing as a decentralized distributed service that is censorship resistant and peer-to-peer -peer di di direct, uh, direct uh, just like you have for money transfers with, uh, with Bitcoin. So, uh, and that then still is just a financial system. I mentioned earlier briefly, the whole underlying structure of the internet is really changing. All these protocols we're using, they're, they're all slowly uh, transitioning to decentralized platforms. So no matter if that's video streaming, if that's file storage, if that's computation, if that's networking, there are all these protocols that where we have new opportunities now. And then on top of that, there's like a, a whole mushroom cloud of applications that offer just one thing and, 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 and tap into these different protocols. So the bottom line is there are thousands of cryptocurrencies nowadays. And so this is basically where I specialize these days. I think a lot about, okay, where are the highest leverage points in this entire ecosystem, where does the most value accrue? And in these areas, I analyze protocols and blockchains and do a really a deep dive on them and find the hidden gems. And then I build a portfolio of them. So I have a, a diversified basket of them. And then over time, as these projects grow and develop, this is where you have then the opportunity to make 100 times, 300 times, 500 times, or even more your money, basically where you have a possibility for profits, unlike any other asset class out there. And, and, and this is really what, what I specialize on. Amazing. But I know that, okay, so when I came into cryptocurrency, we had this huge fad of ICOs. And I mean, I took a modest sum, turned it into mid six figures and turned that mid six figures into you know, four figures kind of thing. <laughs> you know, like I saw it go all the way up and all the way back down. Do you see that there's still a lot of these same type of problems that people have heard of through these Ponzi schemes? Does this still exist? How do people know what is good and what is Shit. Yeah, that, I mean... that, that's a very good question. And, and there's actually two answers to that. Number one, just like all financial markets, the crypto market is cyclical. And because it is a small new asset class, it's very volatile, much more volatile than say stocks or bonds or, or real estate or something like that. So that volatility cuts both ways. You know, on the way down, we have huge drawdowns. And on the way up in the mania phases, we, have, we get to crazy numbers. But that's exactly, uh, therein lies the opportunity, right? And so if you approach this like a professional speculator and you act contrarian, and then basically when we are cyclical low, when the public is not really interested, you look for these gems, the projects that really develop something solid, and then you buy them and you just hold them over years until you get more close to the top of the cycle and hold them. This is how you really make the big money in, in, in crypto. And this is the strategy that made me wealthy. And that's the strategy that makes also my subscriber wealthy. Uh, so, so this is something that's proven. It's not, I didn't invent this. This is just classic speculation 101, right? So you have to be aware of the cyclical nature of the markets to take advantage of this. This is one thing. Then the other thing you mentioned in the last cycle, where in 2017, we had a big mania, a big bubble, and where was the ICO mania. And so let's just define ICO really quick for the people that don't know what it means. 
ICO is initial coin offering, and that is basically the crypto equivalent of an IPO, where something goes public, where now it has a coin that you can buy and speculate on. And so 2017, the space was so new still that all of these were, this was the area of the white paper, like basically a great vision, a great concept, a great idea. And we were just being sold an idea for tens of millions or hundreds of millions of dollars. So there was like basically not a lot behind it in a lot of cases. And also, you know, if you get $20 million and it, like you already made it, like what's the incentive to develop this thing now, right? So we, we saw the fallout from that. But this time is very, very different because now we had years of development and what used to be an idea is now a usable product or at least very close to a product that is live. And so now more and more we see this crypto flywheel take up speed because there's more and more utility, more and more value to the end user that, that is now available. And, and so now we really get a glimpse. We start to we start to see the benefits of the system we, and we start to get to use it, right? So it's it is much more solid now and that doesn't mean we're not going to see a crazy mania so i i expect in 2022 we will see the same thing again just like we had it in 2013 and 2017 uh, but there's already more fundamentals behind it so the dynamics uh, shift a little bit but you always have to be aware that uh, the technology changes that the, the markets themselves change geopolitics changes all of that changes but one thing never changes and that's human psychology <laughs> and in financial markets it's always the oscillation between fear and greed yeah. so that's never going to go away. Well, another big one, and I'm, actually, I would love to get your perspective on these, is the, the nifties, the NFTs. What is going on in this space? That really looks like this 2017, the new version of ICOs, but maybe I'm completely wrong. Maybe it's not. Yes and no at the same time. So NFT stands for non-fungible token. And basically what that means, it's a unique digital asset. So if, if you have, say, Bitcoin, every Bitcoin is the same, right? That's one of the properties of money. So it's, it's interchangeable. But NFTs are the opposite of that. So they can represent many different things. So what, what we've seen right now, the, the biggest space where it grows the most is in the, in the creative space with digital art and, and with music. But it can also be an identity certificate, uh, an access credential in a supply chain. It could re represent uh, merchandise. So it, it can be many things. It's, it's basically just all that it means. It's, it's a unique digital thing. Like the, 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 the real big invention of blockchain technology in general was digital scarcity. So that you cannot copy it infinitely like an MP3 file, right? That gave it the property of monies. But now you have this property coupled with making it unique. And that now opens a whole Pandora's box of additional use cases. And of course, just like with everything when it's new and exciting, we saw already like a little bubble in this. Uh, and that's again, fear and greed, right? So the excitement, but the technology is a fundamental, fundamentally strong and solid thing that just needs years of development uh, for it to permeate throughout the economy and throughout our lives. But it's definitely a very real thing. Okay, that's really interesting because I did not know the answer to that myself. But I do look at some of the news and then seeing some of these artworks that are going for millions of dollars and it's a digital piece of art. I can grasp some pretty out there concepts, but this one 
was a bit beyond me, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, I agree with you in the sense when it comes to art, I mean, there's the argument that, okay, it's just paint and a canvas. And, you know, even if you have a Mona Lisa, like an expert can replicate that's for like $2,000 and you have the same painting, right? It's more the idea of the history behind it that makes it valuable. And the NFTs replicate that. Now, in the case of art, I, I still prefer a real painting, right? Yeah. <laughs> But when it comes to music, it gets already a little bit more differentiated because It's also a tool for artists and creators, not just to directly monetize their work better, because, I mean, mu musicians and artists in general have been ripped off by the industry, the, the music industry in, in, in particular, uh, for, for decades, right? And now they have a, a direct means of interacting with their fan base. And now an NFT can also be, okay, you own this NFT, you get this special bonus, like an extra studio session with me, or you get a limited edition vinyl, vinyl sent to you. Or there, there's all kinds of like merchandising and, and interaction and basically tools to interact act with your fans and, and to deliver, deliver goodies to your fans that happily buy from you. There's the con concept of a thousand fans, right? A, a, a thousand true fans. That's all you need as a creator to make a living out of it. And NFTs enable that. That's Okay. So now, now the gears in my head are starting to work because I know as a content creator, I mean, this is literally what I do for a living. I don't have anything else. I mean, I work with individuals on coaching and consulting and I create content and I write books and sell courses and stuff. I have seen my courses, my programs up on third-party websites for sale for, maybe I shouldn't say this, don't go out there and look for this, guys. Don't screw me over here on this. But I mean, a course that I would normally sell for $500 for 50 bucks or something like that. <laughs> The person went and bought it, downloaded it, and put it on one of these private websites. That kind of sucks. You know, I mean, like there's no, you know, I'm not being rewarded for that anymore. Piracy of international copyright is, is, of course, a big thing, and, and it's not really something that solves it. But as we've also seen with the streaming, you know, if you offer the right things for the right price, people are willing to pay 10 bucks a month to, to get streaming access, and they don't download the MP3s anymore, like in the past. So what you have now as a creator, and this is something very interesting, because you have now, let's say, you sell a music album as, as an NFT and it's a limited edition. So there you create extra value right there. But here's the thing that makes it really interesting. Baked into this NFT, uh, NFT is the capability for royalties for the artist for resales. So now you sell something and then if I buy this, this limited edition record of one of a thousand and then it goes up in value 10 times and, and maybe I said, okay, I want to sell this now. I can resell this. And so now I make the profit and the creator makes his commission on that back end sale again. And if it sells again, then again and wow. again. So this is extremely powerful for creators. And, and I mean, the creator economy is so big. I mean, I'm just talking about music, but it goes into so many directions, right? So this is truly a tool of enabling the artist to directly monetize and interact with his community and to make a, a, a much easier living than in any of the traditional systems. But that's wild because if you think about, I mean, let, let's try to come up with an example from the past. Say there was a, a vinyl record that was produced in 1950 and there was a limited edition. You buy that and you sell it 50 years later and you made a profit on that that family or that generation or whoever actually created the music in the first place, there's nothing would ever go back to them. But what you're saying is that in that same scenario, but starting from today and going 50 years in the future, there is a way that that could be a legacy play for that creator and continue to increase in value for them. 
Absolutely. And it's built in and guaranteed. So if that thing resells, then the artist automatically gets that cut. And of course, the artist can decide what that cut is or can even say, I, I don't want that at all. But the possibility is there. And, and as long as this NFT exists and tr trades on a secondary market for each transaction, the artist gets paid their royalties. And is that transparent? Will be, people be able to see what percentage will go back and support the artist? Or are these kind of hidden things where they won't know no, what's no, absolutely. going on? I mean, this is all transparent and, and blockchains in general are very transparent because it, it's all a public database, right? Anybody can go to a block explorer and look what transactions happened. And in, in these NFT marketplaces, you see all the conditions. You see uh, how many of these NFTs are out there. There, there are some that are one of one, right? They're unique, but they're also editions, one of a hundred, one of a thousand, whatever it is, and all the conditions, what, what, what their uh, NFT represents, what royalties come in the back end, and so on and so forth. It, it's, it's all uh, uh, on these platforms that trade these things. They describe all of that. But in the end, what commission is, is built in there for, for you as, 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 a buy, uh, um, as a seller or buyer even is, uh, is not really relevant because it, it's all part of the transaction. It happens in the background and you have nothing to do with it. You just see the price that you pay and you buy it. All the accounting and, and the royalties and everything on the back end is handled automatically. Yeah. And it's a completely trustless system. You don't actually have to worry about if someone actually going to come forward and pay what they agreed on or anything like that. Like you said, it's all done automatically. So this is just one really great example of the completely new economic systems and use cases that are possible with blockchain technology. So even now, we're just really scratching the surface. If you think about all the areas in your life where in 10 years from now you will have blockchain technology, uh, there are so many things that we don't even know yet what will be the killer applications of the future or the, the really big use cases. It's, it's just, and that's why I always come back to the term paradigm shift. It is a true paradigm shift that changes the whole underlying structure of everything. And therein lies this huge opportunity. Amazing. So we talked about the NFTs. What are some of the other things that are coming out or, or maybe the, the ideas, the concepts, which you think will become very prevalent in our future that people should start paying attention to? I mean, obviously many, but the area that I'm focused on the most right now is still the blockchains themselves, because there's still a lot of innovation happening just with the basic blockchain technology itself. And I mentioned earlier, I see Bitcoin as like the Model T, you know, like, like you don't use a car from 100 years ago anymore. The cars got better and it's the same with blockchains, the same with any technology, right? So the dominant platforms of the future are not the platforms that are dominant today. So I look in the future and say, okay, what are the technological breakthroughs that are happening now that I think will uh, grab a hold and where something grows and will become dominant in the future and I invest in this now? And then more broadly speaking is the best product market fit in the whole blockchain space right now is in the financial area, specifically in an area that we call DeFi, decentralized finance. So I mentioned earlier that all the different building blocks of the financial system are now represented by protocols. So I look at these protocols and analyze these protocols, and then I look, okay, where are the big winners? Like what will be the future trading platform of the future or what will be the insurance platform of the future. Uh, and then I invest in those because this is where I think the most value accrues over time. If you look at, for example, the insurance protocol, the protocol itself is where all the value accrues because later on, which application it uses and where it's all integrated, like there might be millions of, uh, of people that use a thousand different apps 
that do some kind of financial transaction that has insurance built in, but it's all supplied by this underlying protocol and all the value accrues to this protocol. And so that's the highest leverage point for, uh, from an investment point of view, where you can uh, place your capital and have the, the highest possible returns. So, so this is how I play this market. Okay, so then define protocols for us, because I mean, people are, or well, I would imagine that people are thinking just about coins or tokens or these types of things. But what do you mean by protocols then? Yeah, a, a protocol is basically a specialized blockchain that is uh, specifically tailored to one specific use case. So an example of insurance, you know, it, it's it's tailored to to just handle the, the insurance pools and the claims and the whole mechanisms of how insurance work. And or for a futures platform, it would be just to, to, to um, enable the trading of these futures. And so they are more specialized, uh, just like you wouldn't use an email protocol to transfer a file or to browse the web. There are more specific protocols that are basically blockchains in and of themselves. Uh, we just commonly call them protocols that enable a specific use case. And these protocols also have economic incentives uh, for the whole system to work and also for, for their platform to be secure. And that is always in the form of a token. So that's why you have... Uh, you, you can compare it basically to a company that would have shares and then a shareholder owns a part of this, uh, of this company. But if you have that at a protocol level, let's say with the example of email, let's say there was a token for email, for every email, like a fraction of a cent accrues to the protocol and then the protocol distributes that to the token holders. So imagine getting paid every time somebody sends an email. So with these protocols, like let's say a trading protocol, every time a trade happens, a fee goes to the protocol and the protocol then distributes that to the token holders. Okay, so without showing too much of my ignorance, is this like Ethereum where everything is built on the Ethereum network? And these are other networks that are being built? Or how does that work? Because that's the, the, the main one that I would think of that many different programs are built on it. Yeah, right now, Ethereum is the biggest one, but Ethereum has a lot of problems. I mean, it is the biggest ecosystem. It's the most valuable smart contract blockchain. So, so it, it is the 800-pound gorilla right now. But I don't think it will be in the long-term future. And that's exactly why I bet on these other blockchains, because I think they will take up market share over time and will become more dominant over time. And, and also from an investment perspective, if you have something that's, say, worth now $1 billion and Ethereum is worth, let's say, three or $400 billion, for Ethereum to double, you need a lot of capital. But if you have something that is very competitive and very small for something to go from $1 billion to $2 billion doesn't take a lot. So in, in terms of purely just making money, it, it's also easier to get higher returns when you when you catch these projects when they're earlier in their development cycle so uh, but to answer your question more specifically a lot of these protocols interact with ethereum but they also usually interact with other blockchains and now we're increasingly in a world where the whole ecosystem just like a brain and the neurons is more and more interconnected and, and value and tokens flow from one place to the next so that also means capital always flows where it's treated best so in other words where I have uh, the fastest transactions, the, the, the highest transaction capacity and the lowest fees is where all the value will slowly shift to. So now I can look at these platforms and see okay, uh, and analyze where is that spot. And then I just go there before other people realize it, right? Okay, okay. It's starting to make a lot more sense, a lot more clear to me. So you would be looking for, and let's use insurance as, as a, just as an example. You would be looking for an insurance protocol, which could use 
hundreds, possibly thousands of different types of insurance, but that protocol would run all of these. And you're trying to find the next protocol, which will be that one. Is that right? Exactly. Let's say you have a savings app and you put like a US dollar based stablecoin in the savings app and, and a stablecoin is just like a one to one representation of a dollar. So let's say you have like $10 in crypto tokens in there, or, or let's say $100 or whatever, uh, in order to generate a yield and in the crypto space, even today, it's easy to make 10 15% even just in dollars. So it's another reason why so much money is flowing into the system because the returns are much better. But to get back to insurance is you, you have this money in this app. And now this app in its back end, the way it's programmed, might offer uh, insurance to you automatically on your $100. And then on the back end, uses this protocol to insure your $100 deposit. And maybe uh, on, on, on their side, the, the yield they're generating is like, let's say 17%, and the insurance you have to pay is 1%. So then they offer you 12% and make the spread of this. Okay. So the bottom line is, there are a lot of protocols that are under development right now or are live already. And, and whole, a whole ecosystem is building that is basically the future of our financial system. This is what the financial system will look like in 10 years from now. And nobody will use a bank anymore or, or very few people, right? Or a broker and all these things. So you, you will plug into this new decentralized system and there are huge opportunities by getting involved early and looking at these protocols now and investing in them now before millions and millions of people use them. So what you're saying then is people have the opportunity to get involved now, same as you had the opportunity when you started buying Bitcoin at a dollar or $3 and $30. And exactly. you can see what the trajectory is. So now we're able to see literally right now, what is going to be happening, the technology that will be laid out over the next 15 years. And then I guess how you can participate at this moment and be forward thinking. Exactly. Yeah. And of course, this is what I, in my professional life, specialize on because I spend all day, every day researching this and, and, and dealing with this. So what you ideally do as an investor is you build a diversified portfolio of these pro uh, projects. So you have uh, really great risk adjusted returns, because then what happens over time, if you have a portfolio of, say, of 20 of those, then you have, have a handful of really big winners where your thesis was right, where the market uh, developed in exactly that direction and where you you have incredible gains and then you have like a middle ground that basically moved with the market did a few hundred percent and, and you have a handful of losers but just by having these handful of winners you already multiplied your entire portfolio many times over and that's really how you make the big gains in crypto and that's what what, what i um present in my newsletter that's called project serenity where i basically lay this out for you and tell you what i'm investing in and and describe these projects and maintain a model portfolio so anybody who wants to speculate in this uh, can follow along yeah, because I'm listening to this and I mean, I've been in this for four or five years now and I read an immense amount of, about this, especially like the new projects that are coming up. And my eyes are going a little bit crossed at this moment on all the possibilities and everything. And I don't have all day long to sit and research all these different types of protocols. So I guess, can you explain a little bit more about your newsletter? And I think we have a, an opportunity for some of our subscribers who want to take advantage of that. Yeah, if you want to check that out, you can go to expatmoneyshow.com forward slash serenity. And uh, like I mentioned, I have a model portfolio where I maintain uh, 
positions in the protocols that I uh, protocols and blockchains that I think will be the big winners of the future. And we're already having uh, some big winners and seeing some great success. And so basically what you get is that whenever I recommend something new, then I do a detailed write-up on why I think it's uh, important and who's behind it and how does it work, all of that. And of course, with the existing portfolio, I regularly provide updates, what's happening with these projects. And then also within this portfolio is a lot of income opportunities where you can stake your tokens and make 10, 15% on these positions on top of all the gains that you can make over time. So this is my newsletter that's called Project Serenity. And once again, at expatmoneyshow.com forward slash serenity is where you can check that out. Amazing. Now, I've seen with a lot of um, investment newsletters, sometimes people only want to highlight their winners. Maybe they're not so transparent. But when I looked at yours, you guys, your work, you're actually very open and honest about the different projects and about what you're putting your own money in and where things are going. And you're not afraid to show the bad eggs, because like you said, I mean, if your thesis doesn't come true, if it's not correct, I mean, hiding that is actually not a good thing. You need to understand why and what happened and how this all worked out. Can you talk to me about maybe some of the risks or some of the downsides or what people should understand before starting to speculate on these types of things? Yeah, that's that's a good question because... uh with investment comes risk, right? And nobody picks only winners, right? So of course, I, I'm also wrong uh, uh, every once in a while, but that's why it's so important that you follow the right strategy and that you implement what I teach there also as closely as possible. Because if you follow the entire portfolio, then your risk goes down significantly. If you only like pick two or three projects that sound really good to you and say, oh, I, I just buy these two, three, they're going to make it. Yeah, maybe these are just the three that don't work out, right? And I like all the projects that I put in the portfolio, but not all of them are going to be winners. Some of them will be huge winners and that's what's driving all the returns. But to minimize your risk, you need to even that out over about 20 positions and, and, and then you're in a really good spot because then you have a few winners, you have a few losers, but overall the results are excellent. And then from a risk adjustment return perspective, you, you, you're doing the right thing. Well, yeah, I think that's very normal psychology for people. They might look at a portfolio of 20, 20 projects and then cherry pick the two or three that they think is really cool. But actually, the portfolio is not set up just for cherry picking a couple of different projects. It's a portfolio. That's the reason why. So you might not Someone might not understand why certain projects are in there. There's probably going to be a balance of things, of different types of uh, ideas that would come together and probably some hedging of your bets as well, I would imagine. Yeah, and, and not only do I talk ab- about the different projects and, and, and how I invest my capital, but I also talk a lot about the fundamentals, uh, about the strategy, about the right capital allocation, about the market cycles, about how to exit, you know, just as much uh, as picking the right projects, the timing is very important and how you actually trade out at, at the top of a market to have the highest possible average return. So, you know, the, the timing is just as important uh, as selecting the right projects, just like you mentioned earlier, you know, you made a lot of money 2017, but you held it all the way down. And this, of course, then brings you back to zero. Yeah, I probably should have followed your stuff back then. That would be, uh, I, I'm already doing well for myself. I'd be doing even better if, uh, if I had followed your advice. Anyways, um, that's, yeah, interesting. <laughs> 
And and it's very common, you know, because that's why you want to have an expert that can guide you on, on how to do these things. Yeah, absolutely. Well, also to your point on following advice and listening to people. I've also seen what a lot of people will do is they'll get an idea in their head, they'll hear it on somewhere, and then they'll start Googling it. Or they'll go to YouTube and they'll start trying to watch a video on it. But maybe the video was from six months ago or the blog was from a year ago. So you miss that timing aspect. When you work with someone or follow the advice of one expert or one guru, I mean, you should be getting like up to the minute access. So if someone's, if you send out an email, you're going to receive it. It's going to be a, a buy recommendation or a sell recommendation or a hold recommendation. That information is pertinent to that day. It's not a blog, blog article that got indexed and it came up six months later and they say to buy, well, maybe that recommendation is no longer there. Do you know what I mean? Yes, absolutely. I mean, of course, the timing is important, but then, of course, there's also a lot of so-called expert, uh, experts available on the internet, right, that give out the advice for free uh, with very dubious track records and, and, and maybe not that deep of an understanding. So, uh, yeah, pick very carefully who you choose and make sure you get, you get the right access. I mean... Uh, if somebody gives out their stuff for free, then most likely, and in most cases, they got the tokens cheap, they're an advisor to the project, or they got into the private sale, and, and, and now they pump it on their YouTube channel or wherever to dump it on you, you know? So it's, it's not, in my opinion, a good strategy to, to, uh, to, to follow these kinds of people. It, it's, it's also, you know, in a, in a bull market, everybody thinks they're a genius trader, everybody thinks they're an expert because the market overall goes up and, and everybody looks great. It's only really over the long term where you see who really knows what they're doing and like i said i mean I've, I've been in the space for 12 years i've been through many cycles and i've made many millions and crucially not only for myself but also for my subscribers so that that uh, that more than anything is what you should be looking for yeah absolutely and i'll just put a little side note here um back in 2017 i had several people on my podcast to talk about cryptocurrencies and i regret having some of those people on because of the nightmare that happened at that time with these ICOs. I'm just being very transparent, very honest here. I have been very protective over my podcast and my newsletter and everything like this on who I invited on to speak about Bitcoin, cryptocurrency, all these new types of things that's come on. Marco has an amazing track record and has actually been recommended to me from other people that I really trust. He's a good friend with Doug Casey. I know Doug Casey. We know a lot of people in the space. He has a fantastic reputation, not just from the business side and from the investment side, but also from the personal side. So I did a lot of due diligence before accepting Marco to come on my show, which is a big uh, endorsement from my side. Of course, everybody needs to do their own research. You need to do your own due diligence and everything like that. But just even having you on my show, Marco, was uh, a big thing for, for me because of, of my experience in this space, you could say. Well, thank, thank you very much for the kind words. Well, my pleasure. And I think you deserve it. And that's why I'm here to have you, you know, share your knowledge with my listeners. But so I want to, let's go back for a second. So you do have, first of all, the... You do have the course that we were talking about early. This is just for people who want to get into cryptocurrency and Bitcoin. They need to understand more about it, beginner level. But then you have the newsletter for Serenity. And that's at expatmoneyshow.com forward slash Serenity. I know you're going to do some good things for my subscribers. But correct me if I'm wrong, but you actually have something 
else that's available. Maybe for people who are a little bit more pressed on time, maybe who are have a little bit more wealth behind them. Can you talk a little bit about this for me? Yeah, sure. I mean, apart from the newsletter, I'm actually the co-founder and, and, and portfolio manager of one of the fastest growing crypto hedge funds in the world. So we're doing very well also with the fund. And that is, of course, the right thing. If you have money and say, okay, I don't want to mess with, with all the wallets and exchanges, and I don't want to invest the time to follow all of this. I want somebody who professionally manages that for me, then our hedge fund is, is the right thing for you. And, and if this is something that sounds interesting for you, uh, then you you can write us at investment at secondrenaissance.com and uh, we can give you more details on that and give you a full presentation and how, how the fund works. So if you're on the wealthier side and, and, and just want to put your capital to work, then, then this is like a tailor-made offering for you. And so does it follow the same type of concepts that, you, that we've been talking about today and some of the things that you talk about, but more of a hands-off and done for you? Or what's the kind of the difference? Absolutely. Everything I do follows the same strategy in my personal private portfolio, in the newsletter and in the fund. Everything is a little bit, a little bit different because of the way things work. Like for example, the, the fund deals with like many, many millions. So I cannot buy like a, a really tiny, thinly traded project, which maybe I can in the newsletter. And, and so there are certain things that I can do in the fund that I can't do in the newsletter. So, so there, there are differences and, uh, uh, but overall, there, there's also uh, quite an overlap because the strategy is the same. But, uh, but yeah, it, every, every, every part of this is an offering that is, uh, that is tailored uh, for a different group of people and, uh, and follows the same strategy, but executed in, in a slightly different way. Well, I think that's really important because as you mentioned earlier, with all these supposed gurus that are out there, you need to look at what are the incentives. Are they saying one thing and doing something else? Are they rewarded to pump and dump one project or another? I mean, you actually put your, your own hard-earned money into these types of philosophies and you test things. And yes, you're not 100% right. No one is 100% right. No one is God. I mean, it's just... Yeah, the, the bottom line is the end result. And, and this is exactly. all that counts, right? So um, the, the other thing is with, with funds too, a lot of funds are really expensive and fund managers, they just want to get their 2% on the assets under management and want to get fat of that. And they just want to increase the assets under management and really don't care what happens with it. We work exactly the opposite. We have some of the lowest fees in the industry because our, our management fees are really, really low just really to cover our costs. So I don't make anything for all the years that I operate the fund. And I'm also not charging a fee every year on the performance because I want the capital of our investors to grow and grow as much as possible until we get to the end of the cycle. And then when we liquidate everything for huge profits, then I take my payment. I think that's, that's a fair deal in how a fund should work. Okay. So that's interesting. So you're in, you really are incentivized to make the fund worth as much as possible because that's how you're going to be paid opposed to just you know, I think that a lot of the funds in traditional finance is how many times do you buy and sell something? How many transaction fees can they have? I know with BlackRock, that's, that is their business model, you know, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth a thousand different times. Um, and then they rack up all of this Type of extra yeah, I mean, on that. you know, if you know what you're doing and if you have confidence in the end result, then why not align incentives? You know, it, it just makes sense for everybody. And it also makes it uh, 
a much easier uh, process to, to, to trust from an investor perspective. You know, if, if I have somebody that gets fed of their fees, no matter the performance, yeah, the performance is probably not that great. But if I have somebody that only gets paid, if I get paid, it makes perfect sense, right? Yeah. Well, I think as a libertarian for myself, understanding people's motivation is so, so, so important. If you know how they're being paid, if you know how they're being rewarded, then you can make an honest judgment if, the, if you want to participate or not. I mean, this is free market. I mean, it's, it's the lack of transparency, I think, that causes so many of the problems that we have. And that's why I'm such a big fan of all the blockchain technology, which is going forwards. So we can understand and then make decisions as an adult if we want to participate or not participate. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. Well, Marco, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. I have learned a lot, especially about the NFTs and about the protocols and different things like this. I've got some reading to do. Um, maybe give everybody these links again, and then if they want to get a hold of you, if they have questions for you, where can we send them? Sure. So if you're brand new to the whole crypto space and you want to get involved and you should get involved because it is the future and sooner or later you will have to deal with it. And the earlier you do it, the better, because the more you can benefit on a personal level from using all these tools and, uh, and, and benefiting from all the value that you get there. But also, of course, from an investment perspective, the earlier you get involved, the more money you can make. So if you're brand new, I recommend you check out my video course that goes over all the basic concepts and, and, and teaches you exactly step by step how to get started and you find that at expatmoneyshow.com forward slash leap and if you maybe know already a little bit about cryptos maybe you already own some bitcoin or ethereum but you want to get better returns and and and, and you want to really speculate on a professional level and 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 really swing for the fences with this in a, in a smart way with with a with a well thought out strategy then i recommend you check out my newsletter which is called project serenity and that you find at expatmoneyshow.com forward slash serenity and then lastly uh, if you have a certain level of wealth and you want somebody to execute this for you uh, with like a white glove service done for you completely, then I invite you to contact us at investment at secondrenaissance.com and then we'll give you more details uh, from there. So, uh, Mikel, thank you very much. It, it's been a pleasure to be on your show and uh, we didn't even get to talk about travel and uh, all the whole international aspect of things. <laughs> I, I'll tell you what, let's get you back on the show next year and go deep, deep, deep into travel. Because like I said in the intro, you've traveled a ton. You've been out there in the world exploring. I want to have an episode just to get into those types of things. So I promise we'll do that in the future, okay? Sound, sounds good. Marco, thank you so much for your time. And I will talk to you soon, sir. My pleasure. This episode may be over, but your journey to greatness continues by visiting our webpage and signing up for our newsletter. For convenient access to new episodes, show notes, and other crucial resources, visit expatmoneyshow.com. We look forward to you joining us on the next episode of the Expat Money Show. Safe travels. My friends over at serenitynewsletter.com have a special opportunity open to those interested in learning advanced investing techniques in the crypto space. This membership is of the highest quality and is run by a dear friend of mine who happens to manage one of the most successful crypto hedge funds in the world. Crypto is the future, and those who make smart plays now have an opportunity to earn life-changing returns. Go to serenitynewsletter.com to watch a special video presentation now. That's serenitynewsletter.com.